0: Welcome to another edition of the College 12 Pack. I am your host, Patrick Kahn, Senior Editor of the College Wires. With me, as always, Tyler Natuno of LSU Tigers. Wire. You can also catch his work on For the Win. Uh, Tyler, big week, week six. This is kind of a, a week that a lot of people kind of circled for a lot of reasons. One of the narratives going into this game, it's the final Red River rivalry game for Texas and Oklahoma as members of the Big 12. Uh, Brett Yormark already said he's not even going to be there, which is no surprise to anyone. Uh, he's he's very been outspoken about rooting against uh, Texas when Texas Tech plays him, as when he met uh, in Lubbock earlier uh, this offseason, which a lot of people are getting upset. But right now, these are the two teams that are leading the race to the Big 12 title game. Uh, and as we talk about the Red River rivalry, a lot of what's going to be said is about Oklahoma last year, forty nine to nothing. Obviously, a game where Dylan Gabriel did not play because he actually he got his bell rung against TCU the week prior, and and it was a pretty dirty hit. I'm not gonna sugarcoat that, uh, but you know they've had this game circled for a year, and and Dylan Gabriel himself is is very much looking forward to going after that Texas defense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Oklahoma has wanted another crack at this team since the way that game played out last year. Um, and it's an interesting one. You know, real quick, you mentioned Brett Yormark not going to be there, but I believe uh, Greg Sankey will be. So that's that's kind of funny, kind of uh, a preview of what's to come when it comes to that rivalry series. But, you know, I think it's a really interesting game. I don't think it's going to be a repeat of the blowout that we saw last year um, in any way. You know, I do think a lot of that had to do with Dylan Gabriel um, not being available He's around now and, you know, he's playing really well. I think he's been very efficient, looked good in the last few games. Uh, you know, obviously though, Texas, is one of the best teams, I, arguably, I mean, I would say right now, I think they're the most impressive team in the country with the way they've played. Um, you know, they're just loaded offensively. They got so many weapons in you know, between Quinn Ewers, Jonathan Brooks, uh, you know, 80 Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, Jatavion Sanders. I mean, it, it's, it's a comedy or a comedy of riches they've got, you know, it, it and I think it's going to be really tough for an Oklahoma defense that is, I think, improved. I think it's better than both of us thought it would be coming into the year. But when you look at their schedule so far, probably the toughest test they've faced offensively is Cincinnati. And no disrespect to, you know, Emory Jones and Corey Kiner and Xavier Henderson, but those guys are not uh, quite at the same caliber as what Texas is bringing to the table this week. So, you know... I think it could be a close game. I expect it to be actually. I think I think uh, it's going to be much tighter than it was last year. But I still have a hard time believing Texas doesn't win just because I still think they're more talented by a fairly wide stretch.
0: You look at this game. Uh, Bet MGM has this as a six and a half point spread. As we look at it live on Wednesday, uh, you know I, I'm I'm picking Texas by a touchdown in this game. I think they covered that spread. And you're right, but you know you look at. Uh, uh, Texas in a, a team that went up against an Alabama defense who I think we both agree, the very talented, one of the top defenses in the SEC. And, and Quinn Ewers was able to, to really pick apart that secondary. Uh, he, he did a great job in that game. You mentioned Jonathan Brooks. They have a great backup in C.J. Baxter, uh, five-star signee from last year. He, he does a little bit. I really – I agree with you. Oklahoma is improved defensively. I just don't know if they have enough people that could really slow down uh, this Texas offense. Uh, close game. I, I do think, you know, it's in that 35 to 28 type of range. I could see a 33-27 type game. Uh, but ultimately, I'm going to roll with the Longhorns in this one. I, I think they, they win another one, win back-to-back red river rivalry games for the first time since 2009 and if you remember that was the year colt mccoy and the longhorns faced off against alabama in the bcs national championship game but i want to ask this question as we move into our next topic on the college 12 pack where does the red river rivalry game rank for you in terms of college football uh, rivalries? I We could do college sports because you could throw in Duke, North Carolina, but as far as college football is concerned, where, where does it rank for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you ask me, I think it's right up near the top. You know, I think if you ask me, I think, I'd think i say the gold standard when it comes to college football rivalries, to me, it's probably the Iron Bowl, you know, Auburn, Alabama. I think there's so much bitterness in that one and so much history to it. And then also, I'd say Michigan and Ohio State for, you know, this the same kind of reasons, you know, just such a classic rivalry so much bitterness on both sides but I mean to me once you get past those two games I think this one's right up there I mean to me I would say it's this one in Florida Georgia are kind of right there in the next tier I know I'm a little bit biased about the latter one but you know there's something I love about these neutral site uh, annual rivalry games it's kind of a dying breed in the sport we don't really see them that much you know we saw one last week with Texas a m Arkansas but that's sort of a creation you know playing in jerry world um you know this is one of the oldest continuous ones alongside florida georgia so i think it's just really fun i think it's a great tradition and um, obviously a very bitter rivalry that you know we've seen some of these rivalries go away over time this is one that's set to continue for the foreseeable future with both these teams moving to the sec
0: well i will say i'm a little bit biased here Uh, i think it's top two uh i really have the iron bowl is the only one ahead of it uh You could look at two A two B between that in the game. Talking about Michigan, Ohio State. I really just I love it. I I love the pageantry. I love that it's on the Texas State Fairgrounds during the Texas State Fair. I love the fact that these two fan bases are split at the 50 yard line. Uh, Just it's just a great atmosphere, I think. And you know, there's going to be good weather. Uh, It's relatively cool for this time of year in the state of Texas. So about 70 to 75 at kickoff. you know I think it's gonna be great weather lots of lots of fans, lots of trash talk. I, I love when these two teams get together. you know even you know if somebody's watched the big 12 for since its inception, uh, I don't have a dog in the fight, but I do very much enjoy uh, watching the two flagship schools from their perspective states going at it. but I'll say top two uh, might be a little bit biased there with, uh, with my big 12 tinted glasses on. Uh, let's talk about a game that, speaking of Ohio State, they have a matchup against Maryland this, this week. Uh, Maryland is a team uh, led by uh, Tagovailoa Talia, I believe is how you say his name, you know, He's a guy that I, I really think can put some pressure on an Ohio State defense. That's been really, really good this year. We saw what, he was able, what they were able to do in slowing down Notre Dame. Uh, but, Tyler, how are you feeling about this game with the Terps uh, going up against the Buckeyes?
1: Yeah. um, So, you know, these teams, division rivals, sort of a newer rivalry, obviously not traditional conference opponents. They've only played eight times ever. Uh, Ohio State's 8-0 in the series, but we've seen a couple close calls in recent years. You know, uh, this was a one point game and a shootout, I believe, in like 2018. Uh, And then this past year, you know, it was a tight game for a little bit before Maryland or before Ohio State, sorry, sort of pulled away for a 13 point win. Um, you know, this has been competitive and I think I look at this Maryland team and it's promising to me, you know, you're you got, obviously you said Talia, Tug, uh, having a really great year sort of quietly. Um, you know, he's been good there for the last couple seasons, but I think sort of taking it to another level this year, I, I'm really intrigued by this Maryland team. Who's, you know, got beatdowns against three pretty bad power five teams, you know, not super tested at this point, but they've taken care of business. They look like a pretty good team, and I'm really curious if they can make this a game against you know an Ohio State team that I think you know is really really good defensively. Um, you know, like we've seen. I do wonder though, you know, if, if Maryland will maybe test them a little bit, and I and I wonder about Ohio State's offense. You know, if they can put up points. If this, you know, they they kind of needed to keep it really low scoring to get by Notre Dame. Notre Dame may be a better offense than Maryland, but I'm curious if, if, you know, if this turns into a semi-high scoring game, can Kyle McCord and company keep up? We haven't really seen them have to do it yet.
0: Yeah, we haven't, but, you know, it's funny considering we, we kind of look at Ohio State's offense this year in a different light, uh, but they're still third in the Big Ten behind Maryland uh, and behind Penn State as far as the scoring offenses and just ahead. Of Michigan, You're right. They really haven't had to do a whole lot. They haven't asked Kyle McCord to lead one of those crazy uh, second-half drives. I mean, we saw the drive. He made some great throws against Notre Dame's defense as they were able to get the final score. But can he consistently do it if they're asking him to score points? We haven't really seen that this year. We haven't seen the impact from Marvin Harrison Jr. that we expect. So there's a lot of questions about this game. But I think there is the potential for upset alert here. So my question to you, Tyler, is who else is on upset alert this this weekend as we're as we're looking at the games across the college football spectrum? Yeah, I mean, you know, looking at teams that I think could could be got,
1: I think this is a good option. You know, I, I'm not going to pick Maryland to win this game, but the spread's like 19 and a half. I think they'll cover that. Um, I, I'd be pretty surprised if they didn't, to be honest with you. But another game that's kind of caught my attention uh, with another top 10 team is uh, USC, you know, they're hosting Arizona an Arizona team that I don't think is great. You know, they've, they've had some struggles this year, but also are coming off a pretty good performance against Washington, a Washington team that I think is really good. You know, only gave up 31 points to what's been the most explosive passing offense in the country so far. That's promising going into a game against Caleb Williams. Who's, you know, been maybe leading the only offense that could challenge Washington for that claim. So, it's a really interesting matchup. You know, I think you expect USC is going to score points in this game. They did last week too. But, you know, Colorado was able to mount a comeback and make that game a little close. I, I'm just interested if, if Arizona can kind of get a repeat of, of a tough performance against a team that maybe isn't as good defensively as Washington is. And they still put up 24 on Washington. And that was a seven point game. So I, I'm not picking USC to lose, but it, it's worth watching. I think anytime they play someone that's pretty decent offensively, you're going to kind of have to keep an eye out for
0: it. I will tell you right now, bold prediction. I have USC not covering uh, that 21 and a half point spread, too much for me. I think Arizona, based on what they were able to do last week against Washington, you look at their ability to kind of slow down that Washington offense. You know, not enough to win because they got the ground game going there uh, for the Huskies, but th- their ability to slow down uh, Romo Dunizay, uh, you know, Michael Penix Jr., that high flying offense, has me wondering if they can do the same you know, a little bit of a a revenge game, I so to speak, for for Arizona. Dorian Singer, who left to go to USC and really has just been their fifth best wide receiver. If you look at his number of receptions this year, they've really been leaning on, you know, Mario Williams, the former Sooner, Braden Rice, the former uh, Colorado Buffalo, and also son of the legendary Jerry Rice. But honestly he he's kind of been the forgotten man it seems at, at usc but i know there's gonna be a little bit extra on this one so i give me the wildcats to cover that twenty-one and a half. i think this could be a one score game and i would not be surprised if come monday when we sat down to record that we're not talking about uh usc's defense failing once again and arizona winning this football game i mean yeah it, you know it
1: wouldn't shock me i think I, I'm not really believing in USC right now as a playoff contender. I think, you know, when they play teams like Oregon, I think they're going to be in big trouble. I don't see it happening this week. I kind of think they have another one of those games where it's, you know, a seven-point game in the third quarter, and we're like, oh, can they do it? And, and, you know, they ultimately probably pull away and win 45 to 31 or something to that effect. But, it, you know, it'll be a game worth watching, you know, after the way, especially they played a couple of weeks ago against a worse offense in Arizona State.
0: You know, last week we saw LSU and Ole Miss putting up a lot of points, Tyler. A lot of points. A lot of yards. An LSU defense that gave up 706 yards, 55 points. This week they got to go to Columbia. Brian Kelly is 4-4 four and four on the road as the head coach of LSU. Now they got to go to Columbia face Missouri, who's got one of the best wide receivers in the country. you are talking about Luther Burden. Brady Cook has looked much improved this year. Um, and I'm expecting a lot of points in this game. I don't know if I think it's going to be that same level of what we saw a week ago, uh, but honestly, for me, looking at Burden, I would not be surprised. 200 yards, multiple touchdowns in this game for uh, against an LSU secondary that really can't stop a nosebleed at this point. What are you looking for in this game, and how confident are you that LSU can actually get back on the winning side uh, and win a road game that seemed to be hard for for Brian, uh, for Brian Kelly so far in his tenure at LSU.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to, to trust LSU's defense right now, um, like you said, especially the secondary. Really has struggled against every passing offense with a pulse it's played. Um, no disrespect to Mississippi State, but they just did not give Will Rogers enough time to do anything in that game. Uh, but when you have time against this LSU secondary, it's pretty easy to make plays, as we've seen, you know. And this is a Missouri passing offense that has been quietly really good. I think they are the most efficient in the uh, SEC right now. You know, looking at a guy in Brady Cook, it kind of had an up and down season last year, but has been much better. You know, he's completing 75% of his passes. He's got 11 touchdowns, no picks on the year. And a lot of the reason for that is, like you said, Luther Burden, a guy, you know, Talk about the recruiting Eli Drinkwitz has done. You bring in a five-star receiver, and it's obvious. It makes a major difference on the field. You know, he's already nearing 650 yards on the season, five touchdowns. And when you think back to what Florida State did against this team, you know, Keon Coleman, um, Johnny Wilson, they absolutely torched LSU secondary. I think Luther Burton has the potential to do the same thing. To me, the key here is, like I kind of talked about it, uh, you know, earlier – LSU was able to get some pressure and they have a little bit, uh, in in recent weeks, didn't as much last week. They, They struggled more so against Jackson Dart and Ole Miss. I think if they can, if they can get some pressure with guys like Makai Wingo with Harold Perkins, I think it's possible they can contain this offense. Um, because we know that LSU is explosive offensively. There's really no questions about that group. It's a veteran group. It's experienced. Jaden Daniels is having a Heisman caliber season. Brian Thomas and Malik Neighbors look like potential first-round pick receivers. Like, we know what this offense is capable of. So, you know, I'll go with my bold prediction. I guess this is a bold prediction. I mean, LSU is a six-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Uh, you know, but I'll, I'll say my bold prediction for this week is that LSU's defense does get pressure on Brady Cook and forces. I think they'll hit big plays just because of the weaknesses LSU has in the secondary, but I think they will look much more effective uh, defensively than they did against um, Ole Miss last week. And I think they'll cover that six and a half point spread probably by a 10 to 14 point margin.
0: You know, if you look at this game, and, and I, I'll pick you back off of you there talking about the defense. Like you know, Mikai Wingo is getting pressure, and Harold Perkins, and and you know we didn't get to really see Mason Smith last year or make an impact because of that injury. You know, if those guys can really, if the front seven can get any pressure whatsoever, um, I, I think that they really have a chance to do exactly what you said: win by two touchdowns. Uh, and, and really, I want to say hats off. So Brian Thomas Jr, guy has exploded onto the scene. He's probably the best wide receiver nobody's talking about right now. He's actually tied for the top spot in receiving touchdowns in the nation. This shows you just that dynamic one-two punch that that LSU offense has and, and why they have the number 2 scoring offense in the SEC. Staying in the SEC, but let's talk about a defensive struggle fest that we might see. We might not see 40 combined points in this game. We got Alabama at Texas A&M Jimbo Fisher going up against his mentor, his former boss once again. And it seems interesting is once Jimbo beat Nick Saban, it seems like we're seeing former Saban assistants finally get over the snide, get some wins. We've seen Kirby Smart beat him. We've seen Steve Sarkeesian beat him. We 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 thought we were going to see Lane Kiffin a couple weeks ago, but it just wasn't to be because of that defense there uh, in Tuscaloosa and just a fantastic job that they're doing. What are you looking for in this game, and should we be thinking about this as an upset alert, Texas A&M knocking off a ranked Alabama team at home at Kyle Field?
1: You know, I think this game's intriguing. I'm really curious. You know, I still don't think Alabama is has the ceiling that it's had in recent years. I don't think this is a team that can win the national championship this year. And I'm tentatively interested in Texas A&M. So this is, I think, an important game for both teams to sort of show what they're going to be for the remainder of the season. With that being said, I don't really think A&M has shown me enough to really confidently pick them to win this game. Because, I mean, look, I don't think anyone's, like, afraid of Alabama offensively. They're not super explosive or dangerous. But I do think that Jalen Milrose, since his benching, I guess you could call it, since he was, you know, since he missed that South Florida game and came back, I think he's been efficient at at the very least. You know, he's taken care of the ball pretty well, you know, completion percentage high, only one pick uh, in his last two games, I believe. So that's, you know, improvement from where he started the year, obviously been a lot better than he was against Texas. And I think it's interesting, you know, against an A&M defense that I think is is good, but I don't know if it's as good as Texas was, Uh, you know, but I do think that, Alabama, like we've talked about, is a really good team defensively. Still, I think they do still have a championship caliber defense, and that's going to make things difficult for Max Johnson, who, in A and M's, you know, defense, it really hasn't been a step off, or step back. If you look at it, I mean, their quarterback ratings are practically identical between Max Johnson and Connor Wigman. You know, they've he's really picked up where Connor Wigman left off. I thought for the most part, uh, but it's still going to be a really tough matchup against this defense. I will say, I do think that, you know, Anias Smith and uh, Evan Stewart are the most talented receivers this defense has faced since they faced, you know, Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell at tech, uh, in the Texas game. Those guys gave them some problems, you know, and I, I'm curious to see if a can have similar success. I just haven't seen quite enough. We don't really know how good Miami is because they haven't been tested, but that loss still kind of gives me pause. Even at home, I don't think a going to get the job done this weekend.
0: If you look at the uh, SEC defense rankings, uh, A&M, top three in in rush defense, top two in passing defense, and they give up about 18.6 points per game, Uh, most of that which uh, was in that Miami uh, debacle. Uh, However, when I look at this game in Alabama, I think for Alabama's key to victory is going to be um, running the football. Can they run on this defense? That's going to be the big thing because I don't know that I trust Jalen Milrow enough to win this game by throwing the football. I think they're going to have to be on the ground with a combination of Milro and these running backs. So my next question for you, Tyler, will Jimbo Fisher stick it to his boss, former boss, one more time?
1: Yeah. I I just don't see it this year. You know, I mean, I I will say, I think if he's going to do it again, I think this would be the year to do it. And I think, you know, if you win this game, if you're Texas A&M, you are a real contender. I mean, not only contender, but maybe the favorite at that point to win the sec West, it would be a huge win for Jimbo, you know, especially given all the sort of narrative going on around him. I I just, I can't bring myself to do it to, to predict it. I, you know, Alabama seems to be getting better, and I don't know how good Texas A&M is. You know, they gave up 48 points to Miami. That's concerning to me. They, they haven't really been tested outside of that game. You know, good job beating Auburn, a team that's really bad offensively, and Arkansas, a team that can be feisty, wasn't really in that game, and now they've lost three in a row. I, I just think this is a, a test of an entirely different level to anything they've played.
0: Yeah, I really think it's going to come down to the ground game. Jalen Milrow and Jace McClellan uh, in this game. I think they'll do enough throwing the football, uh, whether it's getting the ball to Isaiah Bond, Jermaine Burton. Uh, but I, I, I have Alabama covering the spread in this game. I just, I, I'm with you. I don't trust A&M enough, and and really, if, if it was Connor Wegman, even though it doesn't feel like the drop off has been that much, I might be more willing to lean towards Texas A&M in this game. Uh, it's just Max Johnson. I watched him for several for a couple of seasons at LSU. And he never really gave me that confidence that he could win a football game when he needs to a big matchup. So I'm going to lean here and go, no, Jimbo Fisher does not stick it to his former boss. Once again, all right, we're going to talk about the Kentucky Georgia game. Now, now this one is interesting and I want to stick on a, uh, on the Georgia side here, Tyler, when we're looking at this team, Now, everybody has been ranking them number one. They're number one in both polls. However, if you look at the College Sportswire Power Rankings, we actually had Texas jumping them uh, this week. I need need somebody to talk me off the ledge here because as I watch Georgia, I don't see that dominating team. Uh, I I see a team that's barely getting by, and, and really my eyebrows were raised in that Auburn game against a team that has literally zero offensive threats. Uh, when you look at what Auburn has right now, and it'll change with you, Breeze. but when I look at Georgia, uh, I have a lot of questions, and I don't think they're near as good as the uh, rankings seem to indicate. No, I mean, I'm I'm with you. I think they haven't looked
1: dominant, or nearly as much so as they have the last couple seasons, and I think there's fair questions, you know. I think we have questions about whether their defense is maybe seen a drop off a little bit after you give up 20 points to a really bad Auburn offense. I think there's questions about Carson Beck in the offense, you know, obviously Brock Bowers is a guy that's maybe the best overall player in the country. And he's kind of a get out of jail free card. You know, any bad situation to throw it up to Brock Bowers, he's probably going to make something happen. That certainly helps Carson Beck, but I don't think we've really seen Carson Beck have to go win you a game through the air and i'm not sure if Georgia is going to deliver the sort of knockout performances you know up front this year that that will make that unnecessary you know so i i do have some concerns about georgia i will say i don't have as many concerns in this game i mean on to be honest on paper i don't really think kentucky has much of a chance the only reason i it kind of gives me pause is is the fact that you know you just struggled against an auburn team that i think is kind of built similarly to kentucky you know Kentucky has really struggled to pass the ball uh, this year with Devin Leary. You know, it hasn't really worked out that well. Obviously, Ray Davis had a huge game last week against Florida. I don't think, though, you're just going to be able to run the same uh, rushing play at Georgia for an entire game and it continue to work. You know, they're going to adjust, I think, better than Florida was able to. You know, Florida's a I think it's still a decent defense, but it's young. Uh, Georgia's going to have a lot more success in that regard. But, you know, it does make me interested. Yeah. I'm just curious, Kentucky pretty good defensively, especially last week. A lot of that probably has to do with the Florida offense. It's pretty bad, but Georgia's hasn't looked like a world beater so far either. So I'm interested.
0: Well, I think Florida was a really good running team, and they kind of made that game one-dimensional as that game went on and and forcing Florida uh, to throw the football. And I think that's the key for Kentucky. I think that they've got to take the ball out of the hands of, you know, DeJuan Edwards and, and Kendall Milton. they got to make Carson Beck throw the ball and make somebody else besides Brock Bowers beat them, you know, Dominic Lovett came over from Missouri and we thought that he was going to be their big weapon, uh, in the receiving game. And we just haven't seen it. Uh, you know, Ra Ra Thomas also came over, uh, you know, transferred over from Mississippi state again, he's not making the impact that probably a lot of people thought he was going to. So I think really they have to test them and make them throw the football. With that being said, I still think Georgia wins this football game. I, I don't, know that I can trust Devin Leary to not throw interceptions uh you know he did a good job last week against Florida but as you said uh they didn't really have to throw the football with the way that Ray Davis was running that football and and let's not forget what Ray Davis has played up against this Georgia defense before and he couldn't get anything going so it'll be interesting to see how that looks this week uh now going to a ACC matchup well not quite because Notre Dame's not part of the conference but they are playing a lot of acc teams this year we got notre dame louisville louisville's offense has looked fantastic uh where you really look at the weapons that they have but i'm also gonna say i haven't really seen louisville really tested against a really good defense that's what they're gonna get you know with with notre dame and really can they slow down uh you know the, the running attack of, of Notre Dame with, uh, with Audrey Estime. I mean, he's really been running over everybody, it seems. And, and I don't know that Louisville can stop him.
1: Yeah, honestly, I think Notre Dame might be really, really good. Um, you know, Ohio State loss aside, you know, and the way that the, the the coaching gap sort of potentially cost them that game, I still think they played really, really well and had a, had a chance to win it. Um, and, and you know, Marcus Freeman, people don't talk about it, man is 11 and two in his last 13 games, you know, and the losses have been against USC and Ohio state. Um, so, you know, he's doing a, a pretty good job there. I think this is a dangerous team. And, you know, I look at Louisville impressive start. Like, I don't want to take anything away from Jeff Brom. You know, this was a job that I think has gotten pretty mediocre, uh, in the Scott Satterfield era. He's pretty quickly made them competitive, especially offensively but they're not very tested. You know, their best win was probably last week, 13 to 10 against an NC state team that seems to be having a down year by their standards. You know, uh, the transfer, Brendan Armstrong quarterback from Virginia just has not worked out. He got benched actually this week. So I'm not really buying Louisville, especially because I think that they've been kind of volatile offensively, you know, Notre Dame in their last two games, their defense has been great. They've given up 31 points. So I think, I just have a hard time believing that if, if Duke couldn't get much going and Ohio State couldn't get much going on this Notre Dame team, that, that Louisville's going to figure out how to do it.
0: Yeah, I, I really don't. And, and, you know, the other thing is, like, when you go up against a team as talented as Notre Dame and, and how they played this year, you've got to get turnovers to win this game. And, and Sam Hartman just has not turned the ball over. I mean, in fact, they haven't thrown an interception this year uh, between him and his backup quarterback in blowouts no interceptions, they're going to have to find a way to do that. They're going to have to turn them over. They're going to have to get some short fields for that offense, I really think, to take advantage. And I just don't see it happening. And that's why uh, when I look at this game, I'm really going with, with Notre Dame. I, I, don't, I don't think this game is going to be close. Uh, 10 to 14 point spread, I think, is where is kind of where I lean uh, for this matchup with Louisville. All right, so now that we've talked about the game, there's a couple other topics we want to talk to you real quick before we wrap this up on this college 12-pack. USA Today Sports came out with their coaching salary database. And, of course, we always want to look at the numbers. We want to look at how much coaches are getting paid and uh, how much is, are those buyouts as we get closer to the coaching carousel scene. We've already seen one coach uh, fired. Obviously, there were extenuating circumstances in that. But a guy that we were – guys that we were looking at on the hot seat, Dana Holgerson, Neil Brown. Now, Neil Brown's seat has cooled a lot. Uh, But as we look at it, anybody not named Jimbo Fisher that you feel like is the most overpaid football coach in college football? Well, you know, looking at the top 10, the guy
1: I would have said uh, just got fired for cause. So uh, no longer a factor there. So I'll pick a new one. Um, But, uh, you know, honestly, I'm saying Josh Heupel from Tennessee. You know, I look at it. I think that when you look at the top 10 and the top like 12 ish, I think it's kind of a, one of these things is not like the other situation. You know, Josh Heupel making $9 million a year and uh, you know, he's done a good job. You know, they went seven and six year one, 11 and two year two. We'll kind of see how this year goes though. It kind of feels like they're, they're sort of trending backwards this year. I'm not sure that year two leap was was as much a proof of concept as it was just kind of a year where everything went right. You know, when you look at that team with Hendon Hooker, with Cedric Tillman, with Jalen Hyatt, it lost all three of those guys this year, and it just doesn't look like the same team. You know, with Joe Milton, even with Joe Milton and Brew McCoy, it's not quite the same. You know, we'll see what happens. You know, but looking at their schedule, they've still got to play Alabama. They've still got to play Georgia. This could be a three or four loss team this year, and you're ultimately looking at a guy who is currently twenty two and nine, still hasn't you know won the SEC East. It's hard to believe he's up there with guys who are you know national champions or at least you know multi time playoff participants.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You look at this, and I, you know I agree, Josh Heupel. Uh, but you know I'm going to go with another name, I, Mike Gundy. How I mean Oklahoma State's falling off a cliff. When you look at it, the fact that he's getting paid over seven and a half million dollars, he's got a buyout of nearly twenty five million. You look at that a guy that's been known for offense and, and honestly, they are very offense adverse. Uh, it seems the cow pokes there in Stillwater. Uh, I, I really look at that. I was a little bit surprised to see that I'm a little bit surprised to see that Brent Venables was actually second in the big 12 right now, it's over $7 million over some of the likes that we've seen, including Chris Kleiman, who's actually won that conference. Uh, so I, I think that's interesting, but for me, most overpaid, not named Jimbo. I, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, Gundy there. Uh, just, I, I don't know what's happened in Stillwater, but th- that team is, is just a shell of the former of their former selves.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Venables, that's kind of, to me, just a function of, like, being the coach at Oklahoma. You know, I think no matter who that guy is, they're going to be up there in terms of salary. But you're absolutely right about Gundy, man. Uh, this seems to be going in a very bad direction. We haven't really talked about them on the show just because they haven't played a lot of, you know, significant enough matchups to to kind of make the cut. Um, but they've had a really rough season after a, a kind of a disastrous season last year, too. You know, Gundy's M.O. this whole time has kind of been... You know, every time that they're, they've been mediocre for a stretch and people are starting to question things, he has a year where they win 10 or 11 games and kind of bring everyone back. I don't see that happening this time. You know, I think two years ago when they uh, were in the Big 12 championship, I think we kind of looked at this team as the one that was best poised to, you know, run this conference in the new era when, when Oklahoma and Texas left. Now, you know, with, with TCU making the playoff last year, with the new teams that are coming in. I don't think anyone feels that way. I don't think anyone feels like this is a team poised to be at the top of the big 12 moving forward. I think things are starting to sour on Gundy. You know, he's a guy who's been there forever. I think he's the second longest tenured coach in the power five behind Kirk Ferentz. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure he is. You know, I, I mean, I don't know what we're doing here. You know, he's been at times this year doing a three man quarterback rotation with one of the quarterbacks being his son. And none of them are particularly good. You lose 33 to seven at home to South Alabama yeah, I'm with you. It's bad.
0: Actually, yeah, I think he's actually tied uh, for second longest tenured uh, Kyle Whittingham uh, oh, there in okay. Utah. Uh, they actually became head coaches the same year, 2005. But, yeah, you, you're right. It, it's a, it's very soured. Um, you look at that quarterback situation that they got going on between Alan Bowman, the former Texas Tech and Michigan quarterback who came in. He, he's looked awful. Uh, Gunnar Gundy has hasn't looked great. Garrett Rangel might be their best quarterback, but they're continuing to go with Bowman, I guess, for the experience factor. Uh, but but it's really it's really bad right now. And, and you're right; they we haven't talked about him because of the intrigue level just hasn't been there. And uh, we might be talking about that more about about hot seat. Um, you know, and the other guy that I would mention overpaid uh, just based on the last couple of years' performance would be uh, Dana Holgerson, uh, and, and we we've, we've talked about him at length and we talk about his buyout uh but let's let's wrap this up with a little college football playoff final four or top four i should say as we head into the final season of the four team playoff uh tyler give me give me your top four right now
1: yeah i think it's hard it's still hard to get separation up top just because i think especially when you look at you know, teams like Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, I don't think they've really, especially, you know, the Georgia and Michigan haven't really been tested to a large degree. But with that in mind, right now, I'm going, uh, you know, this was in our power rankings this week. We all voted Texas number one. They're my number one here, too. They've got the most impressive resume in the country, you know, winning at Alabama, you know, demolishing Kansas. I mean, it's hard not to be really impressed. They might be the most well-rounded team in the country. I think this is a very legitimate championship contender. Like if I had to pick right now, they might be my national title pick. So I've got them at number one. Uh, You know, next up, I've got Michigan number two. And and it's hard for me to, to know what to say about Michigan because they haven't been tested, but they've also taken care of business about as well as they possibly could have. You know, I thought the Nebraska game had the potential to be a little bit close maybe deceptively it wasn't at all they won 45 to 7 they seem to be firing on all cylinders since Harbaugh's gotten back from his self-imposed suspension we're just not going to know about them until the last month of the season because of the way their schedule set up but I think they're going to continue to win and look pretty good doing it Um, and then I've got Ohio State after them you know haven't looked incredible but that win over Notre Dame on the road is about as impressive as a win anyone has this season Uh, So to me, they belong up there just by virtue of that. And then I've got Georgia at four, you know, still keeping them there. They've won 22 games in a row. And but you've got to show me at some point that you're still a dominant team. Because right now, this looks like a team that could lose a game or two during the regular season.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right when you look at the teams that you list. And and, um, I, I I will say this as we quickly wrap this up. Texas is in my final four. I have Georgia in my final four, Ohio state and Florida state. You know, I think Florida state, the team that's kind of been lost in the shuffle, uh, haven't lost, uh, just, you know, they had a close game against Clemson, uh, a team that I think is, is proven to be better than what maybe we thought they were a few weeks ago. I just, when I look at the resumes, I'm more impressed Uh, with the resumes of those other four uh, over Michigan. And that's the only reason why I have them left out. All right, but that is going to do it for this edition of the College of Welfast. Tyler, I'm Patrick. We'll see you next week.